Lefondre looking to get side of Fon. Lefondre away from David. 3-1 running. Three points running. Welcome to what is the final Elm Park Royal preview podcast of the season in association with the Reading Chronicle. I'm here as always with Matt Joy. How are you, Matt? How's your week been? Uh, yes, my week's been, my week's been uh, very good, thank you, mate. Perhaps the week in general has probably been a little bit better than last Saturday was, let's put it that way. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't the best game in the world, but it was it was definitely a performance where one team could be crowned champions and the other one uh, didn't have much to play for. Yeah, and full credit to Norwich. I mean, they were they were second half. They were absolutely brilliant. There's no no other way of describing it. They ran Reading ragged, and you know looked absolutely worthy of their spot in the league. And, and full credit to them for that. Reading started brightly, but Norwich just stepped it up a gear. And and my word, did they? You know they they were brilliant. And yeah, it was just a case of one team had the wind in their sails. One team didn't have much of a reason to have the wind in their sails, and. Uh, Ultimately, that that led to the, the final scoreline. Yeah, I mean, we've covered the social media boycott kind of extensively on this podcast, so we won't go back into it too much. But it must have been a bit weird for you not having to do that much during the game. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the most enjoyable parts I find on, on a match day is, you know, the interaction that I have with supporters and, you know, you put out questions or you put out this and that. And you have a, yeah, but I think there's a, a good sort of community feel on the, on the Reading FC hashtag. Um, unless I, you know, maybe occasionally put a slightly unpopular opinion on, but no, normally it's, you know, very good natured and I'd sit there and I'll, you know, laugh away in the press box with some of the tweets I get. So it was quieter. Yeah. I had a much less to do. I, you know, I started the live blog and it was kind of like right now, what do I have to do? Oh, nothing. You know, it was, it was, a strange atmosphere sort of around the press box as well. I think we were all kind of just, I think we were all sort of twiddling our thumbs a little bit. But as you know, as we said, I think it was a worthwhile exercise and hopefully it will make some some difference down the line. But yeah, a, a strange a strange afternoon it was all in all. Yeah, I mean, I, I was obviously hosting the um, post-match pod and uh, not being able to get iFollow working for the first half hour was a little bit stressful. But um, I assume you got a bit better view of it uh, from your seat at the ground. Um, we, we played all right in the first half, I, I thought, uh, up until, well, we fell apart in the second. Yeah, I think we Norwich started a little slowly. I think Reading perhaps surprised them with especially the pressing play in the early stages. Maybe the first quarter of the game was really, really good. The link-up play between Elise, Swift and um, Ajari, I thought, was really, really effective. But I, again, I think it was a case of when Norwich got the wind in their sails they just were a level above and okay Reading didn't you know up their game but I think even if Reading had kept that performance level up throughout the whole game it would have been a surprise to me to see us come away with anything because you know some of the players that especially Emmy Buendia I mean my word what a player he is he's just a a joy to watch and you know you'd be a fool to admit otherwise he was absolutely brilliant and um you know Quintilla's goal was was fantastic okay a couple of the goals I was less than impressed with the, the defensive efforts on, but when we concede four, and I think I gave Raphael some of the highest marks in terms of my ratings, that, that says a lot because I think Raphael had a great game. It could have been a cricket school without him. So, yeah, it was um, perhaps one that if you didn't manage to get all of the 90 minutes on iFollow, you didn't necessarily miss a lot. Yeah, I mean, I managed to see the goal, so that was the one one bright point. It's a, it's a bit disappointing in the sense that Tom Holmes has been really good since he came in and then obviously had two big mistakes in that match. But 
if if you if he's going to make a mistake, I'd rather he make it now than at the beginning of next season when it actually makes a difference. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, I gave him a, a very low rating, but I, that's not in any way a reflection of his performance in general. I think he's been brilliant in his first real season in the squad. He's, he's settled in seamlessly. He shows his versatility. He can play, you know, in the fullback role. He can play at centre half, and he, he's done a, a good job for the majority of the games that he's been. In that spot, he's been thrown in at the deep end. I think even the most experienced of players would have struggled to deal with the attacking quality that Norwich had on display. But I don't think he was particularly helped by Lewis Gibson, who I thought had a, a bit of a ropey afternoon as well. But it, as you said, in games that don't necessarily matter as much, that's when you want the mistakes to come. Yeah, I think it, it's going to be different this weekend because that's a complete dead rubber. Norwich obviously still had something to play for. So... I don't really put too much emphasis on that game at all. The only thing that was kind of interesting to see was Dejan Tetek starting. Uh, I, I called it last week. Well, not quite, but I did say <laughs> he might be nearer the first team. Um, do we know whether that was because of an injury to Rino because he didn't even make the, the bench? Yeah, Rinomoto was out injured uh, last week, uh, as was Liam Moore. But I think Tetek slipped, you know, came into the side and put in a really good show. And I think he was... He didn't look out of place at all. He looked confident in possession. He, he clearly had a job to do to try and nullify the, the attacking quality that Norwich had, and he did that relatively well. I thought he looked didn't look out of place at all. He was, you know, tenacious in the tackle. He was, he, as Panovic said yesterday in uh, in a, an interview with him. I think he said that his uh, he ran uh, nearly ten kilometers, whereas the average for the team was. Uh, he said seven, but then he uh, corrected that after the interview, but it was a little bit too late for me to tweet that out. And to be honest, there's bigger issues in the world. So it was actually eight kilometres the average, but he was you know, going above that mark. And yeah, he, he, it's signs of promise, definitely. And I think he'll be a player that will, of all the you know the young lads coming through, I think he'll be the one that's perhaps the likeliest to, to make a real impression on the first team looking ahead to next season. Yeah, I mean, he was involved in that goal. He kind of was overlapping on the right-hand side, won the foul, um, uh, won the ball back initially. So, you know, promising signs. Do we know whether he's under contract for next year? Because I think in some places he's down as having it expired over the summer. I believe he is. And I think that the fact that, you know, Panovic has, has talked him up in the press would certainly suggest that he is. I think he's definitely being outlined as one for the future. And, um, you know, who knows this time next year, we could be talking about him as, a, you know, your next battle, obviously not in the same ilk of, you know, a, a Michael Elise, but he could have that breakthrough season and we could be thinking, OK, that's the next in a, a long line on the Reading FC Academy conveyor belt. Yeah, and um, that moves us nicely on to Michael Elise's award this week uh, for the EFL Young Player. Um, he thoroughly deserves it. I mean, he's been incredible all season. I think he's come up big in, in some moments where we needed him, particularly like away at QPR and at home to Millwall. Uh, no, still away to Millwall. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, what what have hasn't been said that could be said about my colleagues? I'm, I'm not sure there's that much, but he, he's been special this year. Yeah, I think that's probably the most difficult question you've asked me since you've uh, taken on board the presenting role. What hasn't been said about him? No, he's been absolutely fantastic. He's a joy to watch. He he glides around the pitch. I mean, in the same, not in the same caliber. But you know, the, the comparisons or the the comments about Phil Foden in the Champions League, how he just. You know, he looks like he's on ice skate sometimes on the pitch. He just, he's so seamless in his movement. He's confident. He, he always seems to have his, his head up and he, he makes the right passes. 
He's scored some fantastic and very important goals. He's delivered some brilliant set pieces, as we saw against uh, Norwich, especially most recently for Josh Lawrence's goal. Uh, and he he is a man that will go to the very top. I, I have no doubt about that. I think there are certain players who come through the Reading Academy that you think they're destined for at least you know a, a solid Premier League career. Gilfie Sigurdsson is obviously the main one that comes to mind. I would have absolutely no doubts about Michael Elisa doing exactly the same thing. I think if he continues on his career trajectory, he could be at the very top of their game. And he, he's yeah, a special, special talent. Um, but quite interestingly, uh, Velko Panovic yesterday said he, he highlighted plenty of things to he can improve upon, which was quite interesting. He said, you know, fully deserving of the Young Player Awards, but... He, uh, he he talked about his mindset, which was quite interesting. He said that you know he, if he doesn't put in the perfect performance, he can get a bit dejected and he can perhaps focus too much on that, and that might have implications on the team. So he just wants to him to be a little bit better at dealing with adversity in certain situations and in maybe in a run of form. But by all means, uh, if he can do that and you know show a bit more, he said do the ugly stuff a little bit better as well. My word, what a, what a talent he could be in the next few years. Yeah, I mean, I think you can spin that in a semi-positive way as well, um, his mindset, in that you always hear about these big players who who just are never satisfied. And I think it was like the Last Dance documentary about Michael Jordan. Like, he's so hard on himself and the people around him. But that's what makes him a great player. And maybe Elise, go, I'm not sure he'll become Michael Jordan calibers of in football, but, you know, he's clearly got that next step and I, I don't expect to see him lining up in a Reading shirt next season let's put it that way it would be a very 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 welcome surprise I'd say I think he'll have suitors from around the country and probably around the continent as well I mean I must admit the Michael Jordan comparisons kind of lost on me because I refused to watch that documentary I just felt it was a complete advert of Michael Jordan but apart from that that's me in the in the minority there I'm sure um but no he, he's destined for the very top and, and to be honest if, if Panovic came out and said you know what do you think of the award and he just listed this is what he's brilliant at and he's got no drawbacks you kind of just think okay well you can't that's a bit it, it's good to see that Panovic is you know um he has demands for his players and he has areas that even if they have reached very high heights this year he wants to wants them to continue that and, and improve on that and that is as you said what the what the great players how they start their career and, and you know where they get to all of that is done through picking out the areas in their individual game that can be improved upon and you know do it doing just that so yeah I, as you said it would be a joy to have another season of watching him um but if a, a move came up for him that you know could, could allow him to to make the next step in a career i don't think anyone would be able to begrudge him that i think he's been a, a great servant for reading this season he's got us out of a lot of tricky spots and uh, you know he's fully deserving of the success that is probably going to come his way in the next few seasons. Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you've said. Um, you, you managed to find something that hasn't been said about him. Well done. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I th- uh, so rather than doing a like full preview pod for, a, as I say, a game that doesn't really matter, uh, me and Matt are just going to, or Matt and I, oh, my brother would be so angry at me, um, <laughs> are going to uh, just talk through the season and and what's went well and what hasn't quite lived up to expectations. I mean, it it is a very difficult season to kind of summarise in one line. Uh, I won't ask you to do that. How about summarising the opening eight games in one line? 
Uh, I could do it in three words. I could just say what is happening because that was pretty much my uh, my sort of thoughts. I mean, I, as uh, a few of my colleagues will know that when I was coming back from games each week and we were talking on the, the Monday and it was like, I don't know what's going on. This is just, this doesn't happen to Reading. We don't, you know, we don't bewilder expectations, or we haven't since two thousand and five, two thousand and six. Really, um, it was a an absolutely astounding start, and it was an absolute pleasure to be there to 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 enjoy it because it was just like, wow. I mean, if I uh, there's so many superlatives I could get, but just on a, a raw kind of emotional level, I was just so impressed and, and excited. I thought this is a a team that uh, are outperforming expectations and doing so comfortably. It looked as if they were, they'd reached that next level, but it was just little tweaks in their approach, little tweaks in the, the tactics and, you know, having a, the majority of the, the players who are, you know, exactly the same with, with the exception of, you know, perhaps Josh Lawrence. It was, yeah, it, it was really, really surprising, but then, you know, it, it it wasn't going to end like that. It wasn't going to carry on like that for 46 games. And it was a case of, I'm just going to not question it and enjoy it for as long as, uh, as long as we can. But yeah, I think as soon as the injury started to mount up, I think that's when we saw that the first sort of cracks in the armory showing. Yeah. I think the thing that gets lost about those first eight games is everyone going on about how clinical we were and sure, like we were at an insanely high conversion rate, but defensively, I don't think we ever really looked troubled. I thought that we looked absolutely solid and and that was reflected in both the actual goal numbers against and the XG against, which, you know, we won't go too much into that. <laughs> I know Reading fans don't like that. That's fine. Um, but yeah, as you say, then the injuries start picking up. I can't remember if Moore was out during that next stretch or whether it was the stretch just down the line. And um, Belko kind of mentioned this in the talk that you had with him yesterday. He w- Even he was surprised by how well we started, but the injuries were kind of the killer blow in many ways uh, to, to the rest of the season. Well, I think, yeah, it, it really disrupted the momentum. And you look at the players who have been out the longest, you look at, you know, John Swift, Yeardon's been out for lengthy spells, Yaku Mate, all of these players are players that, are the you know the key cogs in this in this reading you know the core group of players and to lose players like that is obviously going to disrupt the flow. I mean, you just look at uh, I mean you just look at Swift on the opening day of the season. I remember going being at Pride Park and it was just it was hysterical because we were surrounded. I, well, I was surrounded by Derby uh, you know journalists and people who looked at the Reading team and thought they've got a nothing manager. They've finished nowhere last year. And we completely blew them away. And some of the attacking, you know, quality on display in that first game, it was just, I, I just remember driving home with a, a beaming smile on my face because it was just like, it completely astounded me. But yeah, then the injuries picked up. And unfortunately, Reading weren't blessed with, the, you know, the strength in depth. And Panovic certainly said a lot of interesting stuff about uh, the financial restrictions that have been looming over the club this year and, and may possibly loom in the, the coming summer transfer window. But that was that was the killer. There was a you know there were games where Reading could just could barely fill a bench with well their their bench you know wouldn't have been a bench that would have been replicated among other you know top six sides in the division. They would have had stronger benches, and that's no disrespect to these some of the younger lads. They just didn't have the experience. So that was that was the the real disrupting influence on on such a brilliant start. Yeah, I also think like we. 
that that first eight games, we were slightly lucky looking back at the kind of run that we had. Uh, in the first few games, we played Derby, who haven't gone on to do anything, Barnsley, uh, Wickham, Rotherham. Um, but there were also good wins against kind of Blackburn and Watford. So, um, you know, it kind of swings roundabouts, I guess. Mm. But the problem with this season seems to have been closing out games that maybe we should have won. So I'm thinking of that Sheffield Wednesday away game where, OK, the ref might have got a bit involved, but... A realistically bit. yeah well yeah i know <laughs> when, when he when we're playing against uh it, it was only 10 wasn't it but it felt like yes it felt like we were playing against about eight the way that they were defending um you know i, I don't want to say Zhao's missed penalties but they have cost us some points um yeah i mean it's just it's that killer in- instinct in those kind of games that we've kind of lacked a bit yeah and again panel which re- referenced um you know, we were talking about what games you thought were the turning points and and what have you. And it, you know, it went through the season chronologically, but one that sticks in my mind without having you know an hour plus of audio next to me that I can immediately recite off the top of my head. Uh, he he did mention you know Jao's miss against Barnsley, for example. I think if that had gone in, Reading had won that game. The the feeling around the squad, the confidence, the optimism would have been different. You know, the the, the last few games of the season with such difficult games on paper perhaps would have yielded more you know yielded more points and we could be sitting here looking forward to a, a playoff semi-final but that being said as you know we've referenced many times without Jao's goals in the first place we'd be nowhere near where we ended up finishing so by no means do I want to single out anyone um but yeah the, it was finishing off games and I think not you know you, more recently you look at the Wickham away you look at Birmingham away that swagger at the start of the season of, you know, we can go and we can beat anyone and we need to be, or we can just, you know, take the game to oppositions. And if you can display that at the start of the, the campaign to then go to, you know, Adams Park and be, you look just like a kind of like a rabbit in the headlights at, for periods of the game. You know, that's not what you would have expected at the start of the season. You'd have expected Reading to have that, you know, that, that feeling of we are better than them because, you know, on paper we are so that's that's the frustrating thing i think not necessarily even closing out games i think it's just been the games where you just think there should have been more of a a buoyancy more of a spring in the step and and there hasn't been and whether that's um the manager's you know instructions maybe being a bit too cautious whether that's a, a lack of belief in the players i would doubt it's probably a combination of a lot of things but that that was that's probably for me what I look back on it and and feel feel that Reading could have you know really improved upon. See, I find it really interesting that you bring up those two games because Wickham at home, which we did win, and I think was in that first eight, even mm. that felt like a struggle to me. But because you're on that kind of winning run, you almost forget that. Like I think mm. it took a, a more long ball and a piece of sublime skill from Zhao, and we only win that one nil. And then Birmingham at home again. That's I, I think that's one where Zhao misses a penalty, um, and we lose two one. And again, that doesn't feel quite as you know end of the world as in the run in, where the exact same scoreline, like exact same almost everything. But but obviously that at that point we needed to pick up points. So I think maybe sometimes scorelines have deceived with Reading, um, mm-hmm. and 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 both ways as well. I think there's games where we've we've lost where we've looked better and even sky were bringing that up in the 
early run where we started losing. Yeah, I'd it's a very good point. And as you touched upon, I think, uh, you know, you look at the Wickham performance and that's, you know, in a, in a run that yielded a lot of points. But then you look at, I think it, it was kind of, you had one eye on the games that were coming at the end of the year. You had that eye on, oh my word, it's it's a tough, tough run in. And these are the games that perhaps that was, you know, looming on the players' minds as well in, in the nature of the performances. I mean, Birmingham at home, yeah, it was a frustrating display. But then that's Birmingham away. It was, this is an absolute must win because all the expectations on us, they had Lee Bowie's, I think it was his first managerial, first yeah. first game in charge. Um and yeah, I, I, it's a it's a very good point. Um, and there there has been games where Reading have been, you know, by far and away the better side. But it's just been little spells. I mean, you look at the, the Bournemouth away, Reading were really good in the opening half, and then it, it, it was a complete capitulation after the break. You know, Watford away, okay, we were a couple of goals down at the break, but arguably should have been, you know, two all. Um, and you come out after the break, and it was just not really there. So. Yeah, yeah I, I think we could sit here and dissect this for hours upon end because there's there's no you know right or wrong answer. I think there's been so many things that you could you could you know pin pin a, a solid case on that have disrupted the, the flow of the season. But ultimately, it's been a yeah a, an amalgamation of a lot of things. Yeah, so you kind of I think you mentioned earlier that like the lack of squad depth. Um, the fact that we couldn't really bring anyone in over January, like Panovic has touched on that a few times now. Mm. Um, what do we think we need to do going forward into next year um, to to go one better? Even one one place higher would be perfect. Mm. Yeah, uh, I think on a uh, in terms of your, your playing staff, I think again Panovic touched on this. Just having a bit more experience to call upon. I think having players who maybe might not be you know the most technically gifted but have that experience in game management um perhaps players have been in the league you know for half a decade let's say because sometimes maybe reading a bit of goal up and you look upon the bench and it's been a case of okay there's a lot of youngsters on there you need you know not calm heads but you just need someone who you know they're smart they can they can get into positions they can draw fouls they can do whatever's needed to just eat up the seconds um but depth, I think, is yeah, is first and foremost that's the the main thing for Reading. And depth, in terms of not just having you know seven players that can fill out a bench, having players on the bench who have kind of proven themselves in this league and and can do a job. And whether that's a case of having to dip into you know free transfers or, or loans, perhaps I would like to see perhaps the average age of the squad go up a little bit because I think. It's very all well and good having a young and exciting squad um, in, in terms of some of the key men as well. But you just think that Reading could have... It, it could also help, you know, some of the younger players coming through and help them, you know, get to that next level, learn a bit more about the league, understand the league, understand the expectations a little bit more. So, yeah, just perhaps a little bit more strength in depth and a little bit more tactical analysis and experience, I would say. I think the interesting thing about average age is I, I do think it gets touched upon a bit too much. Like when you look at Barnsley, their average age, I think, is even younger than ours. But the difference is some of those players have been given like a couple of seasons to develop. And, OK, they've gone down and come back up and mm. and still stuck with those players. And that's really helped them. So hopefully, you know, kind of moving on from this, that can kind of start to develop within our own players too. Um, yeah. are, we, are we expecting that... 
um, there will be a, a kind of change in in tactics if, if Paunovic can bring in his own sort of style of player? I wouldn't necessarily say so. Uh, I, I think that Paunovic has got quite a set way he likes to play. Um, and I think it's yielded the rewards when he's got the you know the players on the pitch who can who can pull it off. So yeah, no, I, I would short answer this time, which is rare for me. But no, I'd I'd say that I'd expect a, a very similar tactical setup next year. Yeah, I think the only thing that might happen is we play with like proper wingers and have that bit extra width. I would imagine anyway. Mm. Yeah, uh, and that that may not go against Reading. I think. That's something I, I would like to see a bit of improvement upon is is a delivery from because you know we, there's so many times you get into the areas and anyone who follows me on Twitter will know my thoughts on our corner taking uh, prowess in recent weeks. It's been a lot of corners and pretty much none of them I've ever sat there and thought, oh, here's a chance. I've just been like, well, is this going to hit the first man? Is this going to be headed out? It was. <laughs> it's pretty much that's how it's felt. So there needs to be a bit more from from those areas and, and as you said from the wide areas because when you know you really have exploited the wide areas and you, some of the goals and some of the chances we've seen especially between like Mate and Zhao when they've had perhaps only a couple of defenders to take on and they've they've been able to play those quick passes to get into those areas it has yielded success and that would be a, an area that you you would feel that Reading can have joy in if they get maybe one or two new men in yeah, as a bit of an aside, I think that Michael Morrison being out injured has really affected our corners because towards the beginning of the season, he was the target almost every time. And taking him away doesn't really feel like we've got that same kind of... I don't uh, Killer instinct feels like such a weird word to use with Michael Morrison, but I think that is probably it. <laughs> I'm sure he'd be delighted for you to call it that. Yeah, no, you're, uh, you're right. Yeah. You just... It just seems like there's it, there's no... I don't know what the word is, but there's no kind of routine. You don't feel like there's a routine. It's just try and hit the area and kind of, it's a hit and hope. That's how yeah. I feel. I, I think I did feel like we had that in those first eight games. I don't know if teams just worked out or whether something, I don't know what, what went wrong, but yeah, it doesn't feel like we've been making the most of those situations recently. Um, but yeah, we're talking as if Velco is a hundred percent going to be here next year. Um, in the interview that you and others did with him yesterday, he didn't sound quite so confident. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to just read out this quote because I think it's important for me to get. It's obviously a very important issue and I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to just read out what exactly he said when asked upon whether he will be you know, the man in charge. He said, first of all, I would like to thank uh, everyone who wants me to continue. I want to thank the ownership who has given me the opportunity and let me finish the season at least. Moving forward, I do not know the answer of what, whether I'm going to be here, but I definitely want to be. Uh, and then he talked about preparations being made, i.e. Uh, plans to go to Scotland in pre-season and, and how they're planning to cope with the players' fitness and you know getting their rest correct after such a long and arduous campaign. So, But yeah, the bulk of it is he wants to be here, but there's not a concrete... Um, there's, no, there's no concrete facts as, yes, I've been given 100% assurances that I will be in the hot seat uh, next season, which is disappointing i think um we we touched upon this as we were just chatting before we hit the record button it, of all the you know the sackings that have gone on in recent years there's been a bit of a merry-go-round in the last kind of 10 years or so um but most, most of them have been deserved i think most of them the, the managers had run their course um you know gomez uh clement even stam after 
you know, getting to the playoff final. I think it was a bit of a different case, and there was a lot of extenuating circumstances. Obviously, it was in a to the pandemic. There was a lot of it. You know, others you could say, yeah, there there was either progress made that ra- rapidly, you know, backtracked, or there was a lack of progress made with Paunovic. Uh, there has been obvious progress just based on league positioning. Okay, it's it's not finished the way that we would have all loved it to, but to to consider sacking someone who's got within you know three three or four games, you could probably argue of a shot at the Premier League, is baffling to me because there's a lot of good squads in this division that are probably there's a, there's a lot of talented squads who could arguably match Reading squads on paper who aren't even in the top twelve. I'd say, you know, there's. Panovic has done, and it's his first season in, you know, in English football. He's come in, it's an entirely new environment. He's not had the ability to engage with supporters. He's not had all the bonuses of, you know, the when Reading are on a, a good run of having a buoyant crowd behind him. There's been so many drawbacks that he's had to face, the financial pressures, the, obviously the injuries. And he's made mistakes, but as I said, it's his first season in this, in this country, in this league. And if... I would say maybe you know, halfway through next season, if those errors are still there and Reading's league positioning is less than impressive and, you know, it's any progress that he has made has stalled, then it might be a, a time for me to perhaps look and think, is he the right man going forward? But any suggestions that at the moment he's not is just baffling to me. Yeah, I think the fact that uh, people see sort of similarities to Bowen in the fact that he had that initial bounce and then it's tailed off, but... I don't, and I don't want to be, don't want to be too mean, but I don't hate watching the football in the way that I did when I was watching Mark Bowen at some points, um, or Mark Bowen's team. I wasn't just watching Mark Bowen and hating. That's, good. Um, <laughs> That's probably why you didn't get much enjoyment if you were just staring yeah, at me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think that there are clear plans that may not have been there with other managers, and as you say, like when you compare. The start, like the expectations at the start of the season to where we have ended up, he has exceeded the fans' expectations. Whether he's exceeded the owners is like a whole different kettle of fish. And also, what he promised the owners that he would be able to do, I I don't know what that is. But yeah, I I, if if Elko isn't in charge in um, whenever preseason is this year, um, I would both be pretty shocked and pretty disappointed. Yeah, and I think it's a case of be careful what you wish for, because if you look at okay, you know the, the nature of football is you have a lot of managers chopping and changing, you know, after seasons and what have you. But if you look at the the managers who are available on the market at the moment, I'll be honest, not, you know, none come to mind that I could think I would rather have X and Y than than Poundovich. I mean, it's just there's it's kind of a, okay, well, what next? And what do you expect? If you, you've given uh, Panovic an opportunity to you know, bring his own coaching staff in to get his methods of, of you know, his methods of football and his how he wants to run the club, you've given him a year to do that in the hardest year that you could possibly ask a manager to cope with based on all the factors I've just mentioned on and off the pitch and in society in general. And he's finished seventh with a squad that's more or less the same than a squad that finished in the, you know, the lower reaches and has finished in the lower reaches in, in seasons gone by, it would just be completely nonsensical to, to replace him. And obviously football is a game predominantly, you know, 
thought of with a, a lot of emotional baggage to it. And there's a lot of disappointment with how the, the season's panned out at the end. And like I said, there's there's ample ample ways and, and ample justification for criticising some of his decisions. But to, to question his whether he's the right man is a, a complete over-exaggeration, I would say. Yeah, I mean, in terms of uh, managers available, I, I've heard one Jose Gomez just 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 became unattached. Uh, no, I'm, I'm I only jest. Um, I think that's a rather good place to leave it. Um, so, for this episode and for this year, thank you very much, Matt. Um, I don't know when we'll be back, but I'm I'm assuming we'll be back at some point. Touchwood, mate. It's been a, a very enjoyable doing this for the whole season and having the opportunity to to vent in a slightly less formal way than I, I am able to on my own platforms. And, um, you know, I hope that anyone who's listened over this campaign has enjoyed my, I wouldn't say insight, my musings, we should say. And yeah, thank you to everyone on your side of it who've given me the opportunity to, to have a good old natter every week. It's been something I've thoroughly enjoyed. Well, uh, you know, I, I also give thanks to those people for allowing me to do the exact same thing. So, um, yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Um, I think the watch along is back this weekend. If you can be bothered to watch, um, <laughs> no, obviously do watch. Do I You're mean? Sold the it. Last, yeah, it's the last one of the year. Come on, let's let's get hyped for it, and then uh, we'll be back at some point um, in the new season.